0: Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I sit down with, well, me. (laughs) That's right. In this episode, I take the hot seat and I find myself being interviewed by none other than actor, writer, improv genius, Saturday Night Live alum, and a good friend, Jason Sudeikis. The idea came to Jason when he was running on the treadmill a couple months ago. Mid-exercise, he texted me to see if I was interested in celebrating 200 episodes of Off Camera by allowing him to interview me. I was incredibly flattered by the offer, but I've always gone off the assumption, who wants to hear about me? As a director and a photographer, I've spent most of my career behind the camera, trying to peel back the layers of the creative person in front of the lens. But as I thought about it, one thing that occurred to me was, I could for once see what it feels like to be in the other chair. And after seeing Jason make the rounds as a guest host on talk shows like Ellen, it was clear I was in good hands. Maybe too good as it turned out. Jason surprised me with his thoughtfulness, deep research, and by connecting some dots in my own history that I had never thought about before. Dare I say I liked it? Jason and I sit down to talk about the similarities between multi-hyphenates and superheroes, how the smallest act of encouragement and praise can be the greatest gift for an aspiring artist, and why we film off camera in a vast white room. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hi, Sam. Hi, Jason. How you doing? Well, it's very it's very discombobulating to be over here in this chair. I bet, yeah. I did not have to do any work for this one.
1: No. Well, I mean I've
0: done the work my whole life. exactly. That's what i to yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. But don't, it is odd so too. I feel sort of unprepared.
1: I mean, I you too. I mean, you got you got a lot, you know, a lot of stuff going on in your life.
0: Well, you know. I am flattered that you offered to do this.
1: I was trying to th- I, I wanted to look back at it, but I didn't do it. But yeah, it was a text I sent you about a year ago. At this point, I was I, yeah. I was on a treadmill and I just threw the idea at you of like when you get to your 200th, would you ever want could i interview you well then i
0: saw you on ellen hosting that all sure. week and i thought okay the guy's clearly building a resume here and yeah. i'm just a cog in his wheel <laughs> exactly i'm
1: just gonna sit down <laughs> and everybody just understudy every every great talk show going that's uh yeah no i imagine being over there is similar to the you know the times when you're when someone has to drive you in your own car yes and you're like sitting shotgun and you're like oh my gosh
0: what did, look at all this exactly yeah, no or when you're or when you're in england and you're on the wrong side of the car, you're, and you're constantly like, getting on the wrong. This side. is dangerous. Yeah, you're calling shotgun,
1: yeah. and you look like a dipstick. You're like, oh, shotgun. This feels big. as risky. Yes. Well, let's uh, let's hope we stay on the right side of the road. Okay. Metaphorically. Um, do you remember how we met? I do. I was photographing you
0: mm-hmm. for We're the Millers,
1: mm-hmm. which yeah. was a
0: movie you did with Jennifer Aniston. Yep. Yeah. And what I remember about it was you weren't really giving me the time of day. Yeah. Until about halfway through, you said. Oh, you're the Sam Jones that made the Wilco movie. Golly,
1: that's such a different way than I feel about it. That's so funny. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, from my perspective, uh, I come out a little bit better in the sense that <laughs> that we were we were we were jibber jabbering. Uh, but but as you well know, like and I think it's part of one of your great skill sets is putting people at ease uh, when you're behind the camera, uh, putting the people in front of the camera at, at ease and letting them you know get access to themselves. So then you, by proxy, get access to them as well. But we. It it started yeah just talking and and it, the thing that, that kicked it off was me having just watched the Bones Brigade documentary which had that's just right. which had just uh, come out at that point that's right and you knew all those guys but, but more importantly were like were in, embedded in that culture you know I could never even ollie but I had a Mike McGill you know right, <laughs> skateboard right. I just wanted to do it so bad so we went from that and then you just very casually mentioned. It's like, oh, I did this documentary about Wilco, and then it was like, and I knew you had Sam because we were just Sam, Jason. How you doing? Uh, and then it was, then I was like, wait, hold on, wait, you're Sam, like <laughs> Sam Jones, like <laughs> Sam Jones. I made, I'm trying to break your heart, and you're like, yeah. And then, I then I remember being like, just walking towards you and giving you a hug. That's right, you did. Yeah, because, I do remember that because that documentary was so great uh, unto itself, but then so personally important to me, because that was in two thousand. you made that in 2000?
0: It had a theatrical run in 2002 and DVD in 2003.
1: Gotcha. But yeah, I watched that thing probably six or seven times during the writing of this Second City show. Uh, we were writing a show when I was doing Second City in Las Vegas, and it was just a great thing to watch about, you know, the, you know, David Goliath, you know, art versus commerce, you know, working within an ensemble, you know, everybody having a common goal and yet Realizing, oh, we don't all have a common goal, and how do you go about working with people that you have artistic respect for? But, yeah. Uh, even though you're going to fight, you know, what's the what's the responsible way to fight? <laughs> you know, within a within a right a chosen uh, or right or how to hired collaborate, family.
0: how to compromise, how to yeah. Uh, it's funny thing about that is that I think, unbeknownst to me, I think with all documentaries, if you're totally honest, you don't really know the film you're making until you get to the editing room. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have to go back and shoot a bunch more once you sort of figure out the film you're making. You may have some idea of it, but what I got out of that film was that the themes of creative artistic struggle are universal to every medium of art Mm -hmm. and it wasn't specific to a band or it wasn't specific to um, a relationship with a record company and for me that film was sort of my film school but also my my school into self-awareness of oh everybody is going through their own unique set of problems and process and they're dealing with that stuff based on so many factors, how they grew up, what their parents did, who they were at school, and all those things get poured into your personality, and when you try to make something artistic, you can't hide from those things, and that was fascinating for me about making that film, and I think in a way, there's a direct connection to this show now, which is, it was sort of my first foray into how many layers can you peel back, and that's what the show has taught me, is that it's an endless journey into, the creative process and, and the psychological makeup of human beings, and I got my first taste of that on that film,
1: yeah, and was it also and I know you financed it yourself yeah I mean, was that a common practice for, uh, for you at that point with with well, I was a photographer, right. and
0: I wanted to direct and i didn 't know anything about it right. and so it was sort of a naive thing, which is. I think how the best things I, start. Yeah, it's how, Just, it's
1: how you shift paradigms. Like It's either either you know nothing about it and you shift it, or you know everything about it and you shift it.
0: And I think if I knew how much I didn't know, I wouldn't have done it. Right. You know, And I thought it was going to be a short thing. I thought it was going to be like six months start to finish. Yeah. And I also thought that I would go out and shoot the first week, cut together a little trailer, mm-hmm. show it to two, maybe three people, and then get the money for it. Of course. Like that's what happens, right? Yeah. Because Wilco's a huge band, right? And that was my first comeuppance: is that mm-hmm. nine out of ten people I said I'm making this film about this band, they'd be like, "Who?" There's, <laughs> that,
1: there's a humility to that, though. It's also, but it's that's that's a good way to stay, you know, young. And I don't mean like chronologically. I just mean like, you know, staying flexible, staying spry. I mean, you are such a fan of things that yes. that it, I think it becomes it's infectious. To watch, you know, watch you uh, on this show interview someone that, you know you grew up being a fan with or became a fan of. It makes sense that that love uh, and curiosity is is riddled throughout that documentary.
0: Also, I, I think just grow the way I grew up was you don't start something that you're not going to finish, and right. so when the label dropped the band mm-hmm. and there was no release of the record and there was no finish to the movie, you know, the, the irony of every single time I've done press about this movie is the journalist question is, you got so lucky. Weren't you so happy when the band got dropped and all this drama happened? I mean, a a film fell into your lap and I was like, no. I was pissed because a film that I I had these six-month parameters about the creative process turned into, like, a a two-and-a-half-year thing and I kept having to interview more people and spending more money and, and there was no end in sight and I was... So it took me a while to realize that it was a good thing.
1: How far into the process uh, did you get to the point where David Fricky is holding up the CD talking about the zeros and ones and that being the thing that matters, that, the, that it exists, that the music, that the art exists?
0: Chronologically that was at least a year and a half in.
1: Yeah. That's one of those things that just always stuck with me because we have so little control over where the things we have the opportunity to, to make, you know, go and how people respond to them. And yeah, you want to write a song, you want people to, you know, listen to it in their car and dance to it. And, you know, uh, make you know, have sex to it or or whatever to it, and like, uh, but you know, you don't know what people are going to do. You don't know people are going to like your movie. You don't know if people are going to like your, you know, yeah, and your and, and, show. Y- and it's you know what? Doing it. it,
0: it was a great first film to make because there was nobody telling me how to make it or what to spend or what to shoot, and so I did get to make something totally my own in terms of finding my own way. And I maintain this theory that the best times in life are when you are struggling and you don't know what's going on. Sure, yeah. And I'll tell you a funny story about that film. We don't
1: have time for it. Okay. No, no, go (laughs) ahead. Sorry, we're all out of time. (laughs) We'll be right back.
0: (laughs) We should have fake commercial breaks.
1: (laughs) Just us and like, you know, just switching clothes. I'm like shaving your beard, (laughs) talking about these triple action Gillette blades. Absolutely, nine blades. Please don't don't end the story.
0: Well, I was going to say, because I was spending my own money and I didn't have much, I had to figure out creative ways to get things done. And the band went on this little tour to Minneapolis to play a show. And it was only me and a sound person at that point. Uh, and and maybe a camera assistant, and we only had one camera. Mm-hmm. So they were playing two nights, and I asked Jeff to do the same song list both nights in a row. And after the first night, I went and collected all the band members' clothes, and I went to the laundromat, <laughs> and I laundered all their clothes <laughs> and brought them back so they would, could wear them again the second night. Yep. And I went out in the audience, and I shot the second night. Yeah, and I cut the songs together, two cameras. That's amazing. And and those are the stories from that era that I love, is like the sort
1: of figuring it out. Yeah. And and making things work when you don't have help. Who was the person that gave you the advice of, you know, uh, prepare but don't necessarily have a plan?
0: I feel like that came actually from someone on this show early on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: Advice towards towards just speaking with someone, yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, what's strange about it for me is every single show, I fear I'm going to run out of stuff before the hour is over. And I'm going to have that awkward moment of, oh, God, I don't know what else. Have you ever had that in your life? No. And not only that, but at the end of every show, I'm like, oh, God, I had like two more hours of stuff to get to. But for some reason, it never gives me comfort by the time it's time to shoot the next one.
1: Right. I still think this is the one. Yeah where they're going to gonna sniff me out, this person's going to be like, oh, this yes. guy, there's no way, why am I here? Like, yeah. in the middle of it, be like, turn and look at, you know, a publicist. They, they told like, me
0: that you know how to do this, but clearly you yeah. don't. Um, but what I think I always struggle with is, I, I come from a family and a father who, like, you could never work hard enough for him, because he's the hardest worker I know. My mm-hmm. dad will outwork anybody. So, sort of, the voice in my head is, well, you haven't worked hard enough, so right. it's
1: on you. I did want to, I, I, we, 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 you, you've mentioned it, uh, your dad specifically a couple times, but I did, you grew up here yep. in, in Cali. Yeah, I grew up in Fullerton. Right, how many siblings?
0: I have two sisters and a brother.
1: Anybody else making a living in the artistic? Endeavors? Yes, my
0: youngest brother is a artistic director for a ballet company. Great. My sister's
1: a makeup artist. Yeah. And then my other sister is a writer. So yeah. All making a All living in there, in their, in their the, the you know the right hemisphere of their brain in some way. And yes, Pretty and much. hustling. Yeah, yeah, and hustling and the, uh, talking uh, people into giving us money. Yep, um, Hey, you know them and politicians, artists and politicians. What, what um. And then uh, your folks? Uh, they're both still together, still yeah. in the
0: house I grew up in. Uh, they've been married 58 years. Yeah. My dad was a race car driver, turned racetrack uh, impresario. Like design uh, tracks? Uh, like well, he, right, he like? ran a track when I was gotcha. when I was like six or seven years old. Yeah. He ended up building an airplane and racing that and winning all these races in the sky, yeah. like NASCAR in the sky, and maintains his love for motorcycles and cars and every form of racing. So he's still... Fly, drive. He still flies. Yeah. Um, I think he just sold his plane. Finally, he's eighty-two. Yeah. He still rides a Ducati, which is still great. When my dad shows up to something,
1: yeah. On this crazy, you know, I mean, still, race bike. He's an old man, so he's thirty-five. Like on the highway, you're like, come on. Man. No, no, he's. No, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Beat, he beat you there <laughs> by like twenty minutes. Where oh, you yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's pretty
0: impressive. And then my mom um, was stayed at home while we were young and then she became a therapist really when i was in high school she went back to college
1: do you ever ask her why
0: i just know that growing up my mom was on the phone constantly giving advice to her friends yeah and there'd be five cups of coffee and five cigarettes and she's in her bathrobe and it's like well irene you can't let him talk to you that way and i'm Amazing, like mom yeah. we gotta go
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah so she's like i should get paid for this. Enough, yes. of this enough of this free stuff yes uh were you a well-mannered kid were you were you, you know please and thank you did you get you know yeah i was i definitely acted out um
0: because i was little i hit, I hit puberty really late right. and i think it seemed like my only skill when i was young was to sort of be the class clown or to, or to be a little bit outrageous or take risks or do dares or whatever, because I didn't, I didn't have any natural things that made me stand out. (laughs) Okay. You know, the big kids would be like, hey, Sam, we're going to throw you into the top of that bush. And I'd be like, yeah, let's go. And they'd, by the hands and the feet, threw me up into a bird of paradise that was probably eight feet high. And I just crashed down in this bush. And, and I was like,
1: yeah, you were okay.
0: I, I was probably Scratched
1: up like scratched crazy. up, yeah, but yeah.
0: that was that was really? attention, and I
1: took it, yeah, yeah, I like, yeah. yeah. I,
0: I would, I liked a little attention,
1: and this was before negative you know, or positive, every, yeah, it doesn't matter. And yeah. do you get, you do you have, did do you document any of that? I mean, nowadays everybody would have their phone out, I mean, right now there, no, there was, it would be jackets. You know, what's sad is that
0: I was a pretty serious skateboarder, and yeah. I don't have any pictures,
1: no kin. Um, there was <laughs> one, serious skateboarder and a professional photographer, no photos of yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's that, too. Well, the,
1: the, 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 the skateboarding one the phone, career so. sort of,
0: yeah, yeah, ended a little bit when the photography career started, yeah. and I started shooting other skaters. Of course. But yeah, yeah, no one ever. So, like, I'm I'm really sad about that, because I, I did some tricks and some pools and was in some contests, and I could do some things, and I have no memories of that physically to show to
1: my kids. I know. I or know. even to myself to be like, yeah. Yeah, I feel like everybody, our, all our kids are going to have too much stuff. Yes, I mean, you know, if, if my kids have
0: too much stuff, I'm, it's a problem.
1: Unless the giant magnet attaches, uh, you know, attacks <laughs> the planet right. and then everything is deleted. Well, I guess that not zeros and ones, all the digital stuff. I don't know. The Russians will probably erase it all, or a 400-pound man in his basement. Whatever, whatever you believe. <laughs> so, um, you had mentioned your dad being. Was he a perfectionist for himself, you feel? Yes. Yeah. My
0: dad was a 100 times harder on himself than yeah. he was on me. Right. And it took being an adult to see that.
1: Yeah. And when by say it took an adult to see that, to, to forget of it, I imagine.
0: Yes. And to understand yeah. him, I think. Um, sure. Because I love my dad. But we definitely had our years where there wasn't a lot of seeing eye to eye. Yeah. And there were some bridges made. And the thing I will say is that everything he tried to teach me was it was his own point of view of, of trying to give me the tools I needed to mm-hmm. go out in the world. And when you look at that through an adult eye, you could see how, how much he was probably afraid of not making it or not sure, sure. being enough.
1: Did you know his dad? At I all? did, was I he did. In fact, he was,
0: he was around until I was about, I want to say 22. Mm-hmm. And they had a hard relationship. Sure, and and yeah. as a kid, you don't really know that, but you pick up little little hints. He, you know, he used to tell me stories about how um, my dad wanted to play the violin, but his dad made him practice in the closet because he hated the sound. So that's you know, tough. He improved, you know I mean? he
1: improved from that at least. Right? Right. You didn't have to play. You know, practice that's guitar. Right. I, I hope in a, in a closet. Yeah, no, yeah I no, I didn't.
0: Yeah. You know, I was. I had to play it in the back. Sh- the shed. Yeah, that's different. That's different, man. Yeah,
1: that's that's cool.
0: No, but I think it's funny, and you must deal with some of this too. When when you start having a life that people write some things down about or want to
1: ask you about it yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: it becomes their story too oh
1: absolutely no i i mean I, I was always very cautious uh, and still I mean, both my folks are you know similar uh, to you alive and together which is yeah. you know for people again that in the work in the arts it's an aberration Liv- Olivia has the same you know her folks are still together uh, so, still in the same house just like you know, my folks are still in the same house that I grew up in, just like your folks, like, yeah. it's, um, when doing, like, a uh, Letterman or something like that, I would tell a show about, you know, I'd tell, uh, do, you know, um, any talk show telling a story about my dad, I would always call, and, and you know, mom, I'd, and I'd let them know that it's gonna happen, even though my mom has Google alerts for me, I was always, like, <laughs> I was always, like, hey, this is gonna happen, and, but always, always with, like, you know, a wink, and, and right. you know, an element of respect, but my dad will still, you know, he, 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 he has a good sense of humor about all that stuff, you know, like, you know, not taking me to a, NCAA Final Four game, uh, you know, uh, and then you know, taking wanting to take his friend instead, and uh, and buying me a video camera.
0: I think you told that story I'm on sure this show.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and I told it on Letterman too. And Letterman just rat, just could, would not let up on my dad. Who the heck is this guy? You know, and like my dad <laughs> loves it, but at the same time, you know, you, yeah, you right. feel like oh, you know, does it does it hurt at all? I'm curious. You know, you're very, you're very, you're very, uh, you know, easily to say, you know, um, and you know. Um, I love your dad. Is it, was, did you did you and your dad say "I love you" growing up?
0: No, he doesn't use those words. Yeah. And our relationship has gotten to the point now where he will he will give me a hug, but it's it's a one arm hug. Yeah. That second arm.
1: Yeah. I don't know why that second arm doesn't get involved. Because he probably got n- no arms.
0: Yeah. His dad probably did no arms. He's got the one arm. I can and hug do with two What do you do? What do you
1: do with your, do- your yeah. daughters?
0: God, I'm just I, I hug the
1: hug the hell out of him. Yeah. yeah. I, I I kiss Otis and Daisy like crazy. I'm yeah. like I think, yeah, either we, either you, you do exactly the same things, and a lot of times that ends up showing up subconsciously or unconsciously, yeah. or you overcorrect and go the other way. And there's like, you know, we're either at 90 degrees or and sweating our balls off or, you know, 6 degrees and freezing. We should just Hard to find, to find 72. Yeah. 72 and I think nice. there
0: is, especially with having kids, an awareness of what, my childhood was like for me emotionally, and wanting to be more aware of. I want to be really tuned into my kids, and I think my parents were like every other parent in the 70s. They were busy and doing their thing, and kids were running off, and there was a lot no less helmets, attention. No helmets, seat
1: belts. Everybody, you know, parents oh, were exactly. smoking in, in small rooms. My dad smoked all growing up. You know, the like, same with my parents. Yeah. and
0: and it's just a different time. Hey folks, let's take a little break from the conversation so I can tell you about this week's sponsor, ARC. Whether it's a job interview or your dating profile, your smile can help you make the best first impression. But if your smile isn't as vibrant as you'd like it to be, ARC can help you feel more confident. You brush your teeth every day, you even floss. Well, if you're like me, sometimes. But did you know there's another level of oral care? With ARC, you can remove stains that lie beneath the surface of your smile. So, ARC is a new way to achieve professional level teeth whitening at home for just 30 minutes a day. Each ARC treatment includes dentist approved, enamel safe whitening strips that adhere to your upper and lower teeth, along with ARC Blue Light technology. The Blue Light mouthpiece ARCs around your entire smile, delivering targeted blue light energy to help weaken set in stains below the enamel surface, making your treatment more effective than strips alone. And ARC can help you reveal a smile that's 50 times wider than a leading whitening toothpaste. And they offer satisfaction guarantee. So to help our listeners get a whiter, brighter smile, ARC is offering $15 off your purchase of a blue light kit when you visit arcsmile.com and use the promo code CAMERA at checkout. Go to arcsmile.com and use the promo code CAMERA for $15 off your blue light whitening kit. That's arcsmile.com, promo code CAMERA.
1: How much of your love of, of, you know, let's just say, I'm not crazy about this term, but like the notion of adrenaline junkie? Yeah. yeah. You know, you love motocross, uh, you know, skateboarding, two things have been a huge part of your life. How much of that was from probably just being around the noise, the energy, the excitement, the adrenaline of race cars and racetracks growing up? Well, it's funny, it? there wasn't. Yeah. Um, by the time.
0: I was at that age six or seven, Uh, I think my dad was out of the track by the time I was six years old. It came from my neighborhood. I grew up on a street with like 12 boys all within two years of my age and the skateboarding craze hit.
1: Right at the right time.
0: Right at the right time. And then it dropped off for everybody but my friend Toby Hill and I, we stuck with it and went to contests and and got sponsored and did all that stuff. I think it started with, with just being in a gang of a neighborhood. Yeah. And then I was not a team sport guy because, like I said earlier, I was such a late bloomer. Right. Like, now I'd give anything for that skinny body I used to have. But, <laughs> you know, the 3% body yeah, fat. Exactly. A six-pack that was really my ribs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the great thing about skateboarding was I discovered that most people who I enjoyed skateboarding with were also really into art. Yeah. They were really into music. Mm-hmm. They played in bands. So it, I really found my people when I started skateboarding because you'd skate and then you'd come back and listen to,
1: you know, punk rock music right, and, right. and yeah. you'd draw a cartoon. Yeah.
0: And that was, I found, I definitely found myself with that.
1: Yeah. To what level of the bullying in, uh, did you suffer? In well, I had a school? bully. You did. You had a singular. I had year. a yeah. neighborhood kid who
0: terrorized me. Yeah. And, and, was it same, um, same grade, older? Same grade. Yeah. Um, he's just a bigger kid. Yeah. And he was a mean kid. Yeah. And the funny thing was, he lived right in the epicenter of all of our gang. Right. And, like, every kid hated the Millers. Yeah. If you're and watching right that. now, Sean.
1: I mean stop stealing, you know, someone's direct TV signal. Yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know he's not paying for it. We, uh was he, but isn't it you could with perspective now the same way, you know, we ought we we uh, forgive our, you know, what we deem uh, what we deem um, deem our parents' transgressions. You we going to assume that Sean? Completely, had, I think.
0: I mean, his dad was a, a like almost, we didn't really ever see him, and sure? the mom was overwhelmed. And he just—did he have any friends? I don't know if he had any yeah. friends. I Honestly, I didn't. don't.
1: I'm telling you. But he—he
0: he definitely for a couple years, you know. And that was when I was younger. And then—and then just your typical stuff in high school. Yeah. Just I—I uh, I got sort of—I almost hate to tell this story, but I will, out of full disclosure, because yeah. this is what I ask of people who come on the show. Please. It's kind of embarrassing to this day, but um, I once got. Uh, there was a big. Pep rally at school, and some of the bigger football players grabbed me, and they uh, taped me to a tree with duct tape, and it was humiliating because yeah. the whole school saw it.
1: it so wasn't you volunteering, like being tossed up in no. the tree, no, no, uh, no in no. the bush. This no. was this was you there, and then someone grabbed me. Oh you. yeah,
0: and I was tiny, so yeah, it yeah. wasn't that hard yeah. to tape me to a tree. And then one of them put a piece of tape over my mouth, yeah. and, and I'm not a big nose breather. I yeah. I got deviated septum, allergies, and. Yeah, it was terrifying yeah. at the time and uh and it sort of in a way it sort of like cemented my outsider status in my head of of like motorcycles, skateboards art music anything outside of school. Yeah. And I I just didn't want to go to school. I did. Yeah. And I We're supposed to. I suffered yeah.
1: through. Same.
0: And I I did my share of things too. Like I remember once I didn't study for an economics test and uh and I knew I was going to fail, and that was going to be bad. So I went down to the school the night before and filled the lock up with super
1: glue to my teacher's class. That was
0: great. That's great. And then we didn't have the test now. Right the the yeah. Yeah, it's right first out of Bull Durham. Yeah, first period, you no know, one could get in the class. We're going to
1: mud up these, these fields. On, you can't, we can't go to school. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, someone, it's, 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 the kids today would you know call in a bomb threat. You know, you you wouldn't you didn't put everybody on blast, you just you know a little super glue in the lock. The
0: instant you karma know? of that story was after I did the super glue in the lock, I itched my eye ah. and I glued my eye shut. And I had ridden my motorcycle to campus. Oh man. So I rode home with one eye and I had to cut my own eyelashes out for real to get the is, my
1: eye open. That is karma. Yeah. That's instant karma, yeah. That's uh <laughs> how'd you get down from the tree? Uh, someone cut me down. Yeah. A teacher came out with scissors and cut me down. How how long were you on the tree? Not long. Yeah, for still, it's, it's the...
0: But yeah, I think, you know, it's 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 something that, to this day, uh, telling the story, it, it still feels shameful in a way. 100%.
1: I get yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember being locked, uh, you know, at gyms and grade schools where uh, they'd have the stage in the, gy- in the gym, and then underneath the stage is where they'd keep all the fold-out chairs that when the kids would, that's oh, when yeah. the parents would think. I crawled in there being a, you know, you know jokey jokester, right. uh, I put in there, and then they closed it and locked it and like I was in there I mean you know again like you're saying like it was probably only a minute but at that moment uh, it was the fear of being out of control of losing control to a certain degree and I I'm sure there's some element of oh I'm never gonna let that happen again yeah and and it's good that we uh, I mean I like to think I tried to never be the person that did that to anybody too um, and you know, you know, I've, we haven't you know ever lived together or anything, but I don't sense you to be. You know, you could have gone that way too, where it's like I got bullied, so if, you know, when I do reach my full right. size, I'm gonna bully other people. It's kind of like no, if you sit with that and you empathize, you know, and like. Even I became a YMCA counselor for a while, and I I would have fourth graders when
0: I was 19, mm-hmm. which, which by the way, i taking them to like Disneyland and stuff. Which what parent trusted me with 13 70s and 80s parents? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, when I think of, like, 19-year-old me in charge of anything... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I was always sort of... I was always sort of sympathetic to the the kid that was struggling a little bit. I think that was the effect it had on me. And, by the way, this is not to say that I didn't do my fair share of, of pranks... Of and, ...and things like that. But it, I don't think I was mean-spirited. I think I was mostly in the spirit of, of amusing myself and... And in fun, but not in not in hurting
1: people. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- I want to talk about the uh, the motorcycle that your your dad got you. Oh in yeah. Nineteen eighty two Honda XL two fifty R dual sport bike with Pro Line suspension. Wow. Right. I'm reading. I'm reading. But that's right. Yes. Pro Link. Oh, sorry, Pro Link. It's no, okay. It's clear, I clearly wrote Pro Link. It's okay, but I
0: obsessed over that bike. Yeah. And,
1: and that your dad got you that. He did. It was. It, it was, was ele- the most shocking yeah, yeah.
0: out of character uh, event in my life to this day.
1: Right, it was it Christmas, birthday? It was what? Christmas. Christmas.
0: And we had a thing at Christmas where our living room had doors that closed, and the only time they were ever closed was on Christmas morning, right. and the kids would all gather, and the doors would be closed, and then they'd open the doors, and there would be the presents. Yeah.
1: And it's very theatrical.
0: Uh, very magical. Yeah, and you know, and yeah. the fire would be lit. We'll and love the, it, yeah. You know, the music would be playing. My mom would always put on the Christmas music. Mm-hmm. See, and, this uh, is
1: the, the having, having, you know, all four siblings be in the arts makes a little more sense. You yeah. know, when you, when you when paint pictures like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, they know how to <laughs> set a scene, <laughs> create, create a little tension. And you know, the, the interesting release. thing
0: the stockings were outside the room, so you got to do your stocking first as a little bit of a. Amused. Yeah, boosh. they
1: understand overtures. They understand, you know, like right. <laughs> the ride before the ride. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, but very I walked smart. in there, and there, right,
0: I mean, it was pushed sort of into the tree because it wasn't a very big living room, was this motorcycle. and. The first thing I thought was my mom got my dad a motorcycle.
1: You got it, yeah. Like, yep. it did not compute. How old were you at this point? I was 16. 16, yeah.
0: But anyway, yeah, it, it dawned on me that this was for me and yeah. I was going to get to ride this thing. And, and by the way, there were conditions. I had to get a B average because I wasn't at the time. Right. And I couldn't ride it except for in the dirt until I'd passed this, this really hard course on motorcycle safety. Right. And all of those things took quite a while. Yeah. But it didn't matter. It was so exciting to have it, and and it, and it was definitely something that brought my dad and I closer.
1: Sure. Would you guys ride together and stuff?
0: We did. He ended up getting an XR500, which was the big daddy version Shorty of this got, bike, yeah. and uh, and we went trail riding together. Yeah. And those are some of the best memories of my childhood. And then I remember the day when finally I, I was allowed to r- ride it to school. Right. That was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Showing
1: up on that. Was oh they, my were gosh. Had, oh, no. Would,
0: yeah, there were some mopeds. There sure. was a couple Vespas. Yeah. Um, but I would bungee cord the skateboard to the back of the bike. I would, <sighs> and then I could leave school at lunch. Yeah. And go skate. It was the greatest. Yeah. But he said the one thing he said was, you can just never ride on the freeway.
1: Mm-hmm. Where's that bike now?
0: So of course I had a massive accident on the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> I totaled it. I accordioned that bike. I made win? it half How? the size. What happened? I uh, was heading to a spot to skateboard after school, a, yeah. a popular skate spot, and there was just this one section. You just had to be on the freeway for like three miles, and it took 20 minutes out of the commute. Oof. Yeah. So I would do it, and I was one, one freeway was moving at 60 miles an hour, and the other one was stopped, and I made the transition, and the car stopped in front of me, and... I got on the brakes as hard as I could, and it was a Toyota Celica, and I hit the back of that Celica so hard, flipped over the bars, landed on the hood of the Celica, and then on down into the street. On your back? Or yes. Your,
1: like you, you, yeah. landed on, you landed on it? I
0: punched a hole in my helmet like a crater, Dude, and the bike, the front wheel of the bike was in the motor, Yeah. and I was lucky to be alive. Yeah, you are. Truthfully. And the funny thing was, pre-cell phones, um, no one knew it had happened and uh, the tow truck driver came, and I, I was able to walk. I was really, really, I had two massive hematomas where my, my thighs hit the bars and yeah. Oh, yeah, I had a sure. yeah. neck, my neck hurt and stuff, but I could walk. So I got a ride home from the tow truck driver, and still no call to my parents, yeah, no yeah. cell
1: phones. You're not gonna make that call anyway. No. Like, no way,
0: yeah. And he, he showed up in our driveway, dropped me off, tilted his little thing and slid the motorcycle off, And just left in a heap in the driveway. And I was like, I'll deal with it. Yeah. And I went to bed, I went in my room and I passed out because I was so sore. Of course, my parents come home later and my mother sees this crunched motorcycle. And unbeknownst to me at the time, they had this massive fight before they even came in because my mother's the whole thing was, I told you never to get him a motorcycle. And and then, so by the time he came in, he was so mad at me that I'd scared my mom. And then our relationship just, he was so angry at me that I'd crashed that bike yeah.
1: on the freeway. Specifically the freeway, yeah. Yeah, but I think just in general, how like... Know, how do you know what happened on the freeway? I told him. Well, that's good for you. I, mean, I don't know if I would have done that. Yeah, I should have said, you know, Dad, On a side street? Side frontage road.
0: I was going 10 miles an hour,
1: checking my mirrors every 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, let him go Perry Mason on it and try to sniff, yeah. sniff out the truth if he really wants it. <laughs>
0: Uh, there wasn't a lot of data back then. I probably yeah. could
1: have gotten away with it. No, good for you. You're better. You're better off falling, falling uh, the truth. You have to remember less, as they say. That's right. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> um, so. One thing I wanted to touch on: uh, a fellow named James Stewart, not Jimmy Stewart, but James Stewart. James Bubba Stewart. James Bubba Stewart, the fastest
0: man on the planet. Yeah. Is what he was called.
1: You saw him do something that you found remarkable. Yep. Um, crashed and then came, ended up coming in second place. You're like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. So then you had the opportunity and and some clout, a little bit of juice to make a make a, a film about him. That was the idea? Yeah. Yes. And it went Paramount. Tom Cruise was involved. That's all, right. All. Michael
0: London, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, you it know,
0: it was it was a uh, David Gordon Green and Daddy McBride and I wrote the script.
1: Incredible. And then, as many things do in, in this town, in this business, uh, all that momentum that you had, all those big names, you know, all your your own personal heat, uh, you know, it, it 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 falls apart. Yes. As they as they say. It's one of the great,
0: uh, one of the great sort of heartbreaks of my professional career yeah. is not getting to make that movie.
1: Why did it break your heart? Why do you? Because
0: uh, it was a story I knew so well. I knew how to tell it. And I'd lined up all the right pieces, mm-hmm. and and like the Wilco film, I was I was going to be able to tell the story I wanted to tell mm-hmm. about something I love so much. And I poured three years, four years into it, um, and, and I wanted to make that film so bad. Yeah, yeah, More than any other film I've ever wanted to make, I wanted to make that story. Yeah, that was hard.
1: Because in, in, in doing you know research about you, I. And knowing you uh, a, a little bit the, the the this stuck out to me that you courageously and actively uh, put yourself in a lot of situations where you ask someone to trust you yes. you know and it really breaks your heart when they don't yes and would you say that that is there's an element of that that was that the
0: case with this film exactly yeah, yeah. Um, this was a a film about a family yeah it was a father son story yeah. which is another huge reason I wanted to tell it and the family just didn't trust that someone fr- that they didn't grow up with or know could tell their story, and I think it scared them. I think Hollywood scared them. I think You as, think you scared them? You know, it's a tough one because I didn't realize how complicated the relationship was between James Stewart and his father, mm-hmm. and I think his father was very afraid that he wouldn't Look like a good father in our movie, mm-hmm. which wasn't my intention. But there was no amount of convincing I could do apparently that that could get them to come on board, and that was that was hard to to have the best intentions and do like all the, the right things and still not get to do because that it.
1: always is, and I imagine that's yeah. something you come up against all the time. And 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 you know, I know you've spoken about you know having um, you know getting down with you know. Uh, a fellow artist, and then agents, managers, publicists can sometimes cloud that intuitive connection that you have with an artist. Yes. Um, does it happen as well when an artist doesn't doesn't uh, isn't as isn't as trusting as you are with them? I've had only a few cases of that in my life. I've been pretty lucky that yeah. most of the
0: people I've worked with they've been very open and and it's been a good relationship. But a few times, you're just not going to connect with everybody, and and that is hard when when things when things get complicated when they don't need to be. Yeah, yeah. If there's anything I've learned doing this show is it's always easier to book people you've worked with because you have a direct connection with them. Right. And this is a business where there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of mistrust and people hide behind publicists or behind agents because they've been burned. Mm-hmm. And one thing about this show, I think if you look at the history of this show, our goal is not to... Uh, out somebody or to right. prove a point, it, it it's to let the person be who they actually are, yeah. which exactly. rarely happens exactly in in this medium. And I think the problem with this business in general is that people just get too excited about the potential um, uh, rewards from from working with someone famous, mm-hmm. and it clouds their vision and judgment, and that. Famous person ends up getting treated like a commodity, mm-hmm. and there's such a better relationship if you just treat everyone the same yeah. and like a human being. Yeah, you know, because it feels terrible when you're not trusted, and it feels terrible when you feel like others it, others can't be trusted. You know? No,
1: absolutely. No, but I, but I mean, I think it's it's going on and. You know, in all the dualities and tribalism that that exists, and it's all—it's always, yeah. always been there. You know, male, yeah. female, red, blue, left, right. You know, but as a photographer, or or even when we worked together on Mumford and Sons, you know, when we had that that group of four guys. You yes, know, you and I like did that. a music
0: video for Mumford and Sons. They, oh yes, yeah, sorry,
1: yes, yeah. And, the, and yeah. Uh, uh, but we—but that, that came together because it was all us calling people on on their cell phones and and. You know, that's a great trust. point. That's a great point because when we did that, it was you,
0: Jason Bateman, Ed Helms, and Will Forte impersonating Mumford & Sons, right. and it was a music video, and it came together so quick because of our relationship, yep. and you trusted me enough yep. to call Jason Bateman, who I'd never met, and said, trust this guy, or yep. you know, yep. whatever it was, and that's actually that's the environment I want to work in. Right, That's that's the cul-de-sac. That's the neighborhood feel. That's right. You know that's I mean? where I want to be, is to be trusted, to be... To feel like a peer, to do your best creative work, and 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 surround yourself with people who who trust your vision,
1: absolutely, and yeah. they
0: open themselves up to you. Like that's that's the best, it's the best form of this
1: business. That's why you know, stand by me. You know, you you said to me, you want to go see a dead body, and I was like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that you related the music video to a dead body. I like that. Yeah,
1: you know yeah. what? My but idea. you did, and and yeah. I feel like but I could have called and
0: said almost anything. Like. You guys are going to wear uh, giant tuna fish on your arms, mm-hmm. and you'd be like, okay. okay. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, it, it, it's a huge thing for me, and I don't know if I've publicly thanked you, you don't need to, to, to legitimize that and and to get on board with something the, yeah. like that. Right. Um,
1: it, took, it took all of us. It took it, it, there.
0: I will say, it is a huge thing to be an artist and have people trust you for your vision yeah. and go along with you when maybe they can't see
1: it the way you see it in yeah. your head. Del, I, I, the thing was Del Close that said. It, I don't know if he had coined it, but uh, uh, you know, his improv guru that I was lucky enough. To yeah. Was uh, the worst idea with with full support will always beat the best idea with no support. That so is it, a great quote. Isn't that great? Right? And it's it's like an improv you know like mantra. But I mean, but that's 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 life 101. I mean, that you know.
0: That applies to everything. Yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, one of the things that I love about you from the second i got to know you not just know your work was your um like you like your is curi- your curiosity and that manifests itself in all the different things that you've done i mean you are you are a living breathing you know renaissance man a, a multi hyphenate which is like a real life superhero in my opinion and it has to be one of the things i think that led to this this show existing i imagine it's like your desire to, to like Meet these people that yes have fame, have money, have notoriety, have done interesting things. But but, time and time again, you are put towards. You ask questions. You learn a lot about the people by the questions they ask. You are asking like how they got there, yeah. how they got there, how yeah. like all the stuff that led up to the exposition that led up to the moment that you decided, or realized you were an artist.
0: I do. I want to find out, how they figured out, that they could do this, that they could give themselves permission that. They had a talent. They developed the talent. They had to figure it out on their own. In terms of in the creative world, you can't take someone else's success story and apply it to yourself. No. I, I think it seemed like such a far away world to me, even though I live so close to this city. Strangely enough, Still. it felt really like there was a barrier that that uh, you know magical, amazing people did that. Yeah. And and I think that that's the moment I'm so interested in with with other people is, when did you wake up and say, oh no, this is what I'm going to do? Yeah, Because the people I have in this chair invariably had to make some giant leaps of faith yeah. about their chances. Yep, And I don't feel, you know, I, uh, the greatest compliment to me is, is that you called me a multi-hyphenate, but at the same time it's been such a struggle to not have the one thing that, that just jumps out as, this is what I do. Like, I've always sort of admired people who just had that one thing that defined them.
1: Sure. Like a Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. He's an actor. He's a cobbler too. True. We don't know him as, as well for that, but. You know, but you know, Michael Jordan, or. Yeah, baseball player. Baseball player. Go on, <laughs> I'll, I'll knock you, I'll knock every fucking one of these down for you. Fine, and, yeah. Serena Williams. The great karaoke singer. <laughs> really? Great sister. Really, Heck good. Heck of a daughter. But Point being. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that I never had that. Whenever I was doing one thing, I thought that other thing is so cool that I don't want to. I don't want to ignore that.
1: I totally get that. Like I, but because you know you bring up Jordan, uh, like I love when people d- d- get a, walk away from it. Like I, I Harry Kane Jr., who I'm a huge fan of, when he went and did funk, he said he turned his you know his back on like the swing music, the big right? band stuff, and did funk. I was like, love it. Jordan playing baseball, do it. You know, Kanye going crazy, do it. Like I, like there's part of me that they have to. Jordan might. He bummed out that he never learned to play the piano. If he was, he'd probably do it. Like those great stories about him losing ping pong, you know, his rookie year, and then over the summer, uh, you know, just getting a ping pong table and practicing it really? so that on the road he could just smoke it. Well, I mean, he's a competitive monster. Like, you know? yeah, you know, like,
0: that's the other thing I admire about about super successful people is that when they when they attack something, they go all in. Yeah, and I know a lot of successful people and. It's always amazing to see that th- there's, I think, if you don't if you don't know this, y- it would be easy to think that once people get to a certain level of success, they can kind of coast on it. Sure. But the true greats work so hard. Yeah.
1: No, no, no. Good work is hard work. Yeah. That's the that thing on my sister. I says, like that. Who's a dancer and choreographer. Really? Yes.
0: We have so, a lot in common. I know we do.
1: I knew that the second I saw that Wilco doc. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, who are the mentors for you? Who are, who are the ones that, that sort of that that since you didn't have anybody, you know, in in the ar- artistic world, like w- did you have teachers? Did you have you know older kids?
0: Um, Neil and Brian Blender, mm-hmm. who were two brothers. Neil was a pro skater, and his brother Brian was a phenomenal motorcycle rider and a great basketball player. In the same neighborhood. Same neighborhood. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I started skateboarding and just hanging out with Neil, which was so weird because Neil was like a really popular. Pro skater oh, like,
1: like on and GNS. And, you know, like... Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha, He's gotcha. considered
0: to be the artist of the skate world. He was the first one to do graphics that weren't skulls and stuff. They were like Picasso drawings. Love it. And um, Neil was on GNS. And what's GNS? GNS was Gordon and Smith Surf and Skate Company. Gotcha. So he was sponsored by them, and and you know he was at contests with all these guys, and I looked up to him, and they took me in. I don't know why to this day they took me in, but they would ride Trials motorcycles in their backyard. Trials is like the the sort of gymnastics of motorcycle riding. Mm-hmm. You go over hard obstacles and you try not to put your feet down. So they would like ride them in their house. And they, like, they lived together. There was ramps, oh. there was motorcycle stuff. How and much t- older were they? Uh, Neil is two years older than me and Brian's three years older than gotcha, me. yeah. We'd play basketball and yeah. we would skateboard. We'd play music together. We'd write songs. We'd draw. Yeah. We would do all kind. Of, I mean, right. and these guys were so influential on in my life because they were, they were so good at what they did sports-wise. Like, N- Neil and Brian, they were innovators, and they were super creative. And, were and Neil was a photographer as well as a skater. Yeah. So he sort of taught me to use a camera a little bit. Yeah. And uh, and then Brian was just you know a thinker, and and he taught me how to ride a motorcycle. And you know he was the guy that was he could distract one bird, a bird, and then catch it. He was one of those guys. Yeah. That's. I'd come <laughs> over and be like, "What are you doing? Shut up!" And he'd sit there. What are you doing? Shut up! And then he'd grab a bird. <laughs> Like the, you never knew what was going to happen. with like to the their house. house.
1: If that was the opening scene, to like a movie, like It'd be good. I'd be like, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Like this, this is great. Don't blow it, whoever made this movie. <laughs> like this kid grabs birds. Yeah. Yeah. You so, remember, like when so the, Obama grabbed that that fly, and everybody's like, Hey, hey. You know, like we're yeah, like great. great Mister Miyagi. Miyagi with the chopsticks. <laughs> I'm like, I like guess you know, still a kid that really did like, could, would grab a bird and patiently be. You know. and, and there was always that. It yeah. Was always something going on over there. Multi hyphenates though. Multi
0: hyphenates, absolutely. So Neil brought me into that world and I was skating with all these pros and then I would take pictures of them because I'd taken a photography class and that's where I met Mark Boster who was mm. my photography mentor. And and the reason for that was that he was a uh, full-time LA Times photographer but he taught one class at our college and very different than all the other instructors because he, he had real life experience and yeah. which I was craving. Yes, I wanted to get out of there. Yeah. And Mark was the first guy that sort of saw, I thought I was a pretty mediocre photographer and he was the first guy that saw I had talent and saw that I had sort of a different kind of approach than my peers and it was a big deal. What had happened was he gave us an assignment to photograph uh, a photo illustration showing the fear of AIDS. Mm -hmm. That was a big thing at the time. And, And I came up with this idea that I should take my friend James, cover him in talcum powder, put him in his underwear, lay him in a bed, and light the bed on fire, like pour gasoline on the all around the bed, light it on fire, and have him in the fetal position. And that would be the fear of AIDS, because to me, that's what it would feel like. So I got a mattress and went behind an apartment complex and put poor James in there and lit the bed on fire, and that thing went up. And uh, it was a problem. and I got about two frames before he jumped out of there screaming like Were you a about? child. Were you a boat? Uh-huh. I had a ladder with yeah.
1: a two-by-six. Mm-hmm. and uh, a Safe distance away from that fire. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> At least two feet from it. <laughs> and the police came and the fire department and the whole thing. And I got the pictures back. And this hasn't changed much to this day. I look at the pictures first, and I think they're a total disaster. Mm-hmm. And so I hung the... I, Simon Camera. I printed the printed as best as I could, dodged it and burned it and bleached it and all that stuff and put it up on the wall. And then it was surrounded by these pictures of like people in doctor's offices staring at AIDS pamphlets or a needle and people looking, you know, looking at a needle with a scared face. And I thought, oh God, I screwed up the assignment. I blew it. This is the fear of AIDS, not my crazy thing. Right. So Mark Boster, does the whole critique where he talks about every picture and the students get involved and doesn't mention mine. And then at the very end, he said, and now I want you to turn your attention to this picture. And he goes, he said something like, this is an idea I wish I could come up with. Um, this is what, what I would hope for when I assigned something like this. Although I didn't know until I saw it, that this is what I was hoping for. And he gave it, he gave it this praise that, that, completely floored me. I, I honestly believed that I had screwed the whole thing up and and he held me back after class and just said, you know, what you did was, was you took an emotion rather than an idea and I think it was just that one moment in that class that made yeah. me think I could do this. Yeah.
1: So Mark Boster was a huge deal. Was, that, was it sophomore year? That was my junior year of college. Ju- junior. Yeah. I mean, I, I find great teachers, great mentors, great coaches, directors, great friends, partners, are 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 there as opportunities to uh to encourage us to get out of our own way, to declare our baggage for us, yeah. and let us get let us get to our intuition.
0: Yeah, and, and it's certainly proof that the littlest thing passed on to somebody can be the greatest thing for them. Yeah, I still maintain a relationship with Mark. I went back through the years and spoke to his classes, and it, we worked Busting side by shot. side for a while. Because my first job was as a photojournalist, so some of the greatest joys was you know. Setting up shop next to him Heck at yeah. a Dodger game, and we're both just shooting the game as colleagues. But I, I think that's such a huge thing because he will tell you that I didn't, I didn't do anything for Sam, I didn't tell him anything. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. I, I like the picture of his, but he's very humble about that. Yeah. And it's just little. I never called him my mentor. I never, you know, yeah. I never. Now it seems like it's an official thing. It's something you add to your resume. You have right, a mentor. Right. But, Who is your mentor?
1: Yeah, exactly. But yeah.
0: I, I, I think retroactively, I realized
1: that that he had done that for me. Yeah, you talk about the self-critic. Is, yeah. is your self-critic also your muse?
0: Yeah, I've sort of been struggling with that a little bit. Like, a little fear is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I think that you got to be careful with the self-critic thing. Mm-hmm. And I see it as a father. Um, and we put so many things, unconsciously, We we put so many things in our own kids' heads that they're going to have to sort out yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. You know, the greatest thing about this show is that I get these kernels of wisdom that come in so many different forms. And something Annie McDowell said was, you've got to let your kids see you make mistakes. And then you've got to let them see you forgive themselves. Because if they don't see us able to forgive ourselves for our mistakes, then they won't forgive themselves. Yeah. And I think there's something that just cut me to the quick with, with that Yeah, when she said that, because it made me so empathetic for my father. Because yeah. c- he, I think, And I think that that of course I took that on because that was my example. Yeah. And I've had that's been my sort of the work I've had to do is figuring out how to how to feel more balanced and less self-critical.
1: Yeah. Do you see the world in black and white or color metaphorically? But I mean, like when you when you're looking at, it. I know for me, like when shooting. Metaphorically,
0: I see it as tons of grays. Yeah. Uh, The older I get, the more I realize that everything's gray. There isn't any black
1: and white. But but I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, but that's but that's. Specifically that's also what you that's also what you fell in love with first seeing and developed that's also what you For shot sure. first that's, I've that's totally like, it's what it's like totally fell in love you with choose black and shoot white. this the, the this show in you yeah. know um,
0: Well I heard a great quote about photography once that really helped me which was it's not what you put into a picture it's what you take out of it. Yeah. That's always been something even even though obviously a lot of my pictures are pretty big scenes and mm-hmm. the challenge is always how to make it how to make the idea come across as simply and purely as possible. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. God, I really envy great storytellers, too, when someone can really take you to a place yeah, and yeah, make yeah. you see
1: it. Yeah. No, I, I envy just their memory.
0: That's <laughs> I think that's the main reason for the stark white set and the black and white, because if someone's painting a picture
1: of yeah, yeah.
0: a story, like, there's all kinds of room for that story to live because there's nothing distracting you
1: from yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah. You have a quote here that I, that, that I really like you said, I began my career as a photographer who wanted to make a spectacular image, and I have become a photographer who wishes to make a true one. Do you still honor that as a quote?
0: I do. I think in the beginning, I wanted to create a big spectacle and and create an image that was gonna knock people's socks off. Mm-hmm. And I thought the way to do that was exclusively by bringing in 1,800 banana peels, or an elephant, or whatever, and then as I got better as a photographer, and started to look at more photography, I realized the images that moved me most were the ones that had a power over me for the fact that they lacked all of that and they could still get me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I, I think that as I became more experienced in photography, I realized how much harder it is to, to do something simple that has power, but how much more rewarding it is when you can do it and I, I think this show is an offshoot of that. Yeah. If you go back to that self-critical voice, I I, I was not going to be able to in my first few years of photography turn in a picture of someone sitting in a chair against a black background. Yeah, I was going to make sure I, g- I got the job again yeah. by turning in pictures that, they, they had to. That no one knock else in the class thought of. I mean, oh, you were, or, it was or sort or of first assignments for magazines. You know, like
1: yeah. But I mean, it happened with Mark. You know, it, it, like when, it when you, this whole class of people that all signed up with the same, you know, dreams or hopes. At least 90, 85 percent were like, yep. hey, would be neat to do this for a living? So I, I think about the way it was simply for Mark to just sort of say this thing. And it was a tiny thing that he doesn't own at all, and very humble about that. You and I have a similar thing like that. That that I. When when working at SNL, I came across these big giant pictures of of different like one of like a like an ostrich like really close up and whatever. And then there was this picture of Will Ferrell dressed as a cowboy where he has his guns and he's like scared that he's shooting him. And it, and we had him at SNL and they were just like in a trash thing. And I was like, this is awesome. Uh, and I took it and I tore it, uh, separated it from the other thing. And there's something on the other side. Uh, I don't know what. And Will was like a hero, you know, that I didn't know at all when he was on SNL, and I was like, oh, that's great. And so I asked him to sign it, you know. Jason, go get him, you know, Will Ferrell. And I put that up above my desk. And I remember a producer on the show was like, hey, you don't, you know, you don't want to try to be the next Will Ferrell. And I was like, I was like, no, that's only up there because every time people talk about him here, they talk about uh, how he committed to everything he was in and what a gentleman he was. And that's just that that's there to remind me those right so then after i left snl and i'm taking stuff down and people didn't know i was leaving i knew i was leaving people didn't know uh like out in the world and so yeah it's like this heavy duty thing you're taking stuff off the wall and i have this this thing and so you know i got uh, so i went and properly framed you know that and as i when i got it back in the frame i'm looking at it and i'm looking at it now as like this this of history from my life with the, that is, is imbued with this philosophy, and I look down in the corner, and I see fucking photograph by Sam Jones, and I was like, this motherfucker. That's true. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You got me to SNL, uh, you helped me when I was there, I didn't even know it, and thank you for trusting me, thank you for, you know, this was a, uh, a silly idea, but, I, but you've done a, uh, an amazing thing with this show, you continue to. I think it's important not to honor, look back in the middle of it. You know, have a little, you know, living wake here. 200 episodes in.
0: Listen, I, I am flattered at the amount of reading you did about me, about the amount of thinking. I, it, it's completely flattering, and uh, could not think of a better person to sit down and do this with. And I've avoided this for a long time because it's, it's my weird. my my setting is who wants to hear about me? You yeah. know, but I, I have to say, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank I, you. Absolutely. Hey folks that's our show you know i enjoyed that and i didn't know how it was going to be going in but there is such perspective to be gained by switching your viewpoint it's really interesting to sit in the other chair and see a conversation on this show from that side you know usually this is the part where i plug what our guest has been doing and in this case not a lot to plug so i'm just going to plug jason's qualities as a good guy i was so impressed with how seriously he took this whole thing, how he sort of took over the show and worked with our in house researcher and producer. And, you know, he, he certainly did his reading and his digging. And it was an interesting thing to feel in the hands of someone who wanted to carry the conversation in a certain direction. And I learned a lot from it. So I hope you guys like that. If you want to know more about me and more about the show, you can go to offcamera.com. Our whole world is there for you to discover. The best way to do that is by watching our show each week on DirecTV's Audience Network. If you don't have DirecTV, you can also see our show through our monthly TV subscription. For only $4.99 a month, you can have access to all 201 shows we've made to watch on any device as many times as you like, all for only $4.99 a month. It's a great deal, and it's a great way to dive deep into what we're doing on this show. We also make a magazine. Obviously, we have this podcast, and there's a lot of ways to enjoy off camera. You can also find us on social media. We are Off Camera Show at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I'm Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. So check all those things out. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll get to see some behind-the-scenes pictures that we make every week of our guest. And it's kind of neat to see behind the curtain of the show a little bit. You can also send me an email. I'm Sam at OffCamera.com. And please, if you're a longtime listener of the show or if you've just discovered it, take a minute, tell your friends about it. We love doing this show and we want to be around for a long time. So spread the word and we'll try to keep having these creative conversations for a long time into the future. I want to thank everybody that works on this show. Nathan Shields, Crawford Shippey, Michaela Galvin, Sasha Snow, and Kara Johnson. They are a crack team of experienced artisans and craftsmen and we couldn't do the show without them. Now, make sure to join me next time when I sit down with actor Wyatt Russell.
1: My dad found a goalie coach who ended up being one of the most important people in my life. Never before had anyone said, in very bluntly, you are the son of
0: famous people. What are you going to do about it? Comes on like a circus act from California, who is Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's kid. Right. And know, he wants to be a hockey player in British Columbia with all the other. And so I had to, I had to prove through just putting my head down and not talking and just work and become the best goalie in the league. That was the only way it was going to work. You have to become the best guy. It was really my first introduction into you're going to have to work your way out of this. I'm hooked on Wyatt's AMC show Lodge 49, and he's been on my radar for a while. But what I didn't know was that Wyatt wanted, with every fiber of his being, to be a professional hockey player, and he doggedly pursued that dream very successfully until injuries prematurely ended his career. After that heartbreak, the son of famous parents Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn took a long, hard look at the family business, one he had shunned his whole life, and decided to dive in. His story is fascinating, and his lust for life is intoxicating. See you next time, Off camera.